humans. Hello, humans. It is me, Ellie Krug. Ellie Krug on AM 950. How are you? Happy, happy, happy Saturday. And you're hearing me live. Yep, yep. It's been a couple, I know, it's been a couple of shows that have been best of Ellie's. I know, I realize that we had the holidays and then I got caught up in something and all that stuff. But you have me live today. You have me live today. And we have a great show. We have um, someone to come in and talk about remembrance and reconciliation in Hastings. Um, I'm going to talk about this Respect for Marriage Act uh, that you're hearing about, um, that that the House is set to take the st- Senate's version and then, and then pass it and then uh, President Biden will sign it. Probably this week, I would guess. Um, talk to you a little bit about Twitter, if I have time, and about my, uh, you know, getting ready to do the school board in Eastern Carver County. Now, it is live, and you can call in, and here's the number, 952-946-6205. But to begin this, to kick this off, I have a really, really great guest here um, who, by the virtues of technology, I get to actually see on my computer as we talk. Uh, James Curry, uh, welcome to LE 2.0 Radio. I am thrilled to have you here. I'm thrilled as well. Thank you. Well, well, and, and James, uh, you've been kind enough to uh, respond to my emails about <laughs> your organization, Building Remembrance for Reconciliation. And... You know, and as we talked off air, I'm just really fascinated by work around reconciliation, particularly with how divided we are as a country right now and as unfortunately as a state. Um, so, James, give a, can you give us a little bit of, of a background about building re- remembrance for reconciliation, its work in Hastings, and, um, and how did you get involved in doing the work? Big, long question, but go. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, well, I mean – Unbeknownst to me, um, there were some residents of Hastings that were interested in um, some marking some unmarked graves. I guess they call them potters um, fields in, in, in cemeteries where um, either folks that couldn't afford gravestones or folks of color or just sort of um, uh, marginalized folks at, didn't have uh, grave sites, and that was Rich Mankey and uh, Heidi Langenfeld, and they um, pursued some federal funds uh, that Rich, who was the director of Lakeside Cemetery, became aware of, and uh, with the help of Heidi, was able to sort of track down um, mostly African-American males and their wives that uh, were buried there, and uh, got the funds to uh, put up some gravestones for them and mark them. Why, why did, and, can I ask, why did they reach out to you? Um, th- they didn't reach out to me. There was an errant email that was sent to a cousin <laughs> that I got a year later. Um, and uh, that really started everything. I mean, once I got an email saying, we're looking for, you know, descendants of the families, the two black families that we know of in Hastings. And, uh, you know, it'd be great if someone could contact us. And, and, and I did. Um, and then I drove down there and met Rich and I met Heidi as well as a whole bunch of other folks. And uh, at the time they had an organization in its nascent form called Building Bridges, but it was an outreach kind of thing where they wanted to explore the, 
history and um, invisible stories and uh, excavate the black history as well as indigenous in the town. Um, and then when I came on board and another descendant from the Wallace family, Greg McMore, we um, sort of joined forces and I had just come off of a documentary and I was interested in where these stories might take me. Um, and I'd always had an interest in my uh, family history. Right. And I knew we had roots there. So, um, yeah, it just um, coalesced really nicely. And uh, we, you know, formed a mission statement and a strategic plan and a 501c3 and started um, sharing that history with the community through presentations and booking speakers and uh, focus groups and um, sometimes just events for fellowship, really, uh, getting together. So that – and the organization that you formed is building um, Remembrance, Remembrance for Reconciliation. Remembrance for Reconciliation. Yep. Yeah, uh, okay. reduced to the acronym BR4R.org. Okay. And, and, and that's – and if people want to go read up about it, is that – BR4R.org, yeah. Okay. Now – uh, James, um, because many of our listeners, and, and this show actually goes out across not only the U.S., but I've got listeners in other countries. Can you nice. give us a snapshot of the history of Hastings as it related to uh, persons of color, but particularly black folks? What, sure. what, what happened in Hastings that makes this so compelling? Sure. I mean, I, I, uh, I would say, you know, it, it really uh, – the Reconstruction era um, post-Civil War was when you started getting fugitive slaves as well as um, black men that had joined the colored troops and come back to Minnesota. Um, there were some um, black families before, um, prior to the Civil War, 1857, but um, really um, the majority of the black families came post-Reconstruction or um, during the Reconstruction era. And, um, to live in Hastings, it. right? Yeah. Yep. Um, and scattered in Lakeville and Prescott and Trimbell and, and uh, Point, Point Douglas. So a little bit of Wisconsin as well as outskirts of um, Dakota County. Uh, then um, these folks, uh, I guess, <laughs> wanted to form their own church because they had gravitated to white churches. You know, they were... These are, this is their numbers were under thirty or under twenty at the time, um, and uh, instead of uh, frequenting uh, or instead of uh, expressing their faith at other churches, they wanted a church of their own. Um, yeah. and they wrote in the paper that uh, experiences taught them that they wanted a place uh, free of uh, free to um, you know engage in their faith. Uh, and uh, and their own uh, their own conscience, and okay. um, so uh, they sought out an AME. Um, and if, if people don't know what AME is, that's African Meth Methodist Episcopal Episcopalian um, chaplain from Iowa, and began um, looking for um, subscriptions or donations to form this church. They had a building um, formerly owned by German Baptists on Fifth and Sibley in Hastings. They got enough uh, subscriptions to throw down the down payment. And in uh, 1892, they were able to form a church called Brown's Chapel AME. Fifteen years later, after 
plenty of celebrations, picnics, and prosperity, um, and worship. Um, it was it was destroyed by arsonists um, in October of uh, 1907, and that's the snapshot of that. Um, the fallout was silence from the community, uh, which in which in could be read as complicity. Uh, no real investigation besides the two articles about the actual fire. Um, and then just a, um, uh, an exodus or a message of hate, uh, or intolerance, um, that was, you know, overt as well as, uh, subvert, <laughs> okay. less overt. Uh, so the, those children of those families, realized that that wasn't a welcoming community and maybe it never was. Um, and the exodus, I think the, the last black man died in 54 and that was a, a newspaper item, but it became an all white town up until the nineties. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm speculating a little bit, but based on census numbers, Hastings was white for basically 40 years um, until their numbers started creeping up to match the 1900s in the nineties. Okay. Okay, well, well, thank you, and thanks for that history. <laughs> no, it's incredibly important, and you know, I'm absolutely positive that kind of history that you just told us about played out across America in sure. a variety of ways. Okay, sure, it's it's what James Lowen sometimes called or as referred to as a sundown town when you're uh, yeah. when the town may not engage in in. Um, Lynching, but or they may have signs or bells or or just um, ways of indicating to the folks either entering the town if they're of color to not be around after sundown or if they live in town um, and their numbers are few uh, to not be out and about um, after sundown. Right. Yeah. Just horrible stuff. So, so it's more more of a northern strategy. I don't know if it's passive aggressive, but it it certainly. <laughs> It certainly didn't entail, you know, the Klan and, and uh, to, to a point, um, nor, you know, a lot of um, terrorist acts. But it was, um, yeah, it was sort of northern nice, if you could call it that. Okay. With, with, all, with tongue firmly placed in cheek. Okay. All right. Um, James, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break, okay? Sure. And then when we come back, I want to hear about – what what your organization is doing around remembrance and reconciliation, okay? And particularly that reconciliation thing, all right? Okay, everyone, we're going to take a quick break here. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. When we come back, we'll pick up back up with our conversation with James Curry, who is um, uh, one of the founders of Building Remembrance for Reconciliation. We'll be back in a second. Thanks. And we're back on AM 950, LE 2.0 Radio. Uh, you're listening to me live. Um, I've been. Uh, by the way, you can call in and you can ask our guest questions, 952-946-6205. We've been speaking with James Curry, who is one of the founders and curators of Building Remembrance for Reconciliation. Um, 
and uh, and who by happenstance and serendipity got involved with what was going on in in Hastings. James, uh, before we took our break, you were telling us a little bit about Hastings. Am I and I'm. I think you've said this, but I want to make sure I understand it. You are a descendant of one of the one of the folks buried in the Potter's Field that was buried in the Potter's Field in in Hastings. Do I have that right? That would be Greg McMore. Um, okay. My my dis, my ancestors um, had plots and were acknowledged through gravestones. But yeah, I'm a descendant of one of those two settling or pioneering families of Hastings that were black. Okay, great. Okay, so you get involved, you know, um, with the, with the, the the tombstone, the headstone uh, thing. And then, and then you form this organization, Building Remembrance for Reconciliation. What have you been doing? I mean, give us, you know, what's the mission and is it only in Hastings or are you doing this in other places other than Hastings? Um, no, we're doing it in other places um, outside of Hastings, but yeah, it, I mean, there was uh, an event where we wanted uh, the Curry and Wallace families and and descendants and cousins to go down to Hastings uh, because there was a, a Curry scattering garden that was um, Rich Mankey was behind that they also put in the in the in the cemetery Lakeside Cemetery. So we, I, I guess, our first foray into uh, remembrance and reconciliation was getting folks from Minneapolis, um, South Minneapolis, basically down to Hastings to um, mix with the Hastings residents that, um, you know, used to be uh, a few generations before them neighbors. Um, And that was a really nice event. I'd say that's 2018. Um, And then we wondered how we should continue this, uh, sharing of the stories so we had um just some event uh, a number of events for the rotary club or aauw or um presentations to uh interested parties where we would myself heidi and greg mcmore would uh share the story um from a personal perspective and what we've heard through oral history as well as pictures and, and whatnot and the 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 exodus that ultimately um, deprived Hastings of uh, a community of color um, after the 50s and the exodus that happened in the 30s. And so we've also got a couple of authors, as I mentioned, James Lowen, who wrote uh, uh, Sundown Towns, as well as um, what what my te- the lies my teacher told me. Um, sort of a Howard Zinn-like look at American history. Uh, he was a guest speaker. We had Chad Montry from um, uh, Boston or Lowell Mass um, uh, University uh, speak about whiteness in plain view, uh, sort of covering um, covenants, racial covenants and hmm. and racial exclusion in yep. Minnesota, which included Hastings and Edina and Kibbing and Austin. Oh, yeah. Well, just go to St. Louis Park and start looking at the deeds. Um, sure, yeah. So we've know. just had guests. We've done presentations. And then we started doing focus groups to actually get some give and take instead of always uh, presenting. Um, and that kind of culminated in in uh, October of this year where we had a, a Breaking the Silence event at the Presbyter- First Presbyterian Church. Um, 
uh, and everybody was, it was just an open invitation to the community. And there was plenty of folks with, um, silver hair there. There was about 125. Okay. Um, we all had some soul food. Um, we BR4R catered it and it was just sort of, um, uh, a step towards reconciliation. The speakers, we had music, um, and, um, it all, it all came together really nicely for being ad hoc and, you know, we're grassroots and volunteer based. There's really only 14 of us, I'd say. So, um, yeah, we've taken those steps to move beyond um, that city. There was a, I was a McWatt fellow this summer, and I was engaged in, uh, along with Greg McMoore, who I keep referring to, uh, a Wallace um, a descendant. He did something about uh, Southside Minneapolis stories about the destruction of 35W. We all know about Rondo. Yeah, I, I would think. Yep. I would think some of us know about yep. Rondo. We've had we've had we've had folks on talking about that for sure. Yeah. So um, it's starting to be. I'd like to think of you know Hastings could be a sister city uh, to to Minneapolis or the Twin Cities, and we can we can start exchanging these stories beyond just Hastings. Although that seems to be where. Um, the inciting incident occurred um, with the burning of the church. Right, right, and 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 has your has the work been well received? I mean, you know, how have people reacted to your efforts at reconciliation and about making people remember what happened in Hastings? Yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> we had one presentation where um, I don't know if it was falling on deaf ears, but. One per the moderator said, "That's weird. Um, I wonder why there aren't any." After telling the whole story, they weren't sure why there weren't any more uh, communities of color in Hastings <laughs> in in significant numbers. And it was like, "Oh, so you, I guess that just went over." But the that person was in the minority. The lar- by and large, uh, folks of. Been really um, taken aback and moved, and um, you know, shocked. Uh, it probably runs the gamut. I can't put myself in their shoes, but there's a an outpouring of um, uh, of wanting to um, <laughs> know the next steps a person can take, whether that means a donation or um, what's the next steps. What are you guys doing next, and where where is it going to be, or right. just any just a, yep. just genuine. Just genuine kind of that old school Minnesotan, um, you know, Norwegian maybe even uh, tolerance level that where they they just want to help and, and and maybe finally do something concrete um, to yep. help the cause. Yep. Well, well, James. Um, two things before we go. Okay. One is you have you have a graphic novel out. Is that right? Yeah, so with these stories that I've excavated, there is sort of an arc and a narrative that I was able to string together. Um, and I was someone in, uh, I was introduced to a, a Marvel illustrator, a DC illustrator, um, comic book illustrator, who was interested in um, the work we were doing. And so, yes, we're going to make a... Um, I've written the, the story. He is illustrating it. And we're aiming for a spring... Uh, spring 2023 publishing day. Okay, well, let me know when that comes out, and I'll let the oh, audience. I'll let my audience know. And then, okay. lastly, James, you know, I always ask, or try to ask, um, whenever I have guests on, what made them an idealist? Okay, 
you know, and and you certainly, I mean, you 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 know, you you told me off air, you've got a day job working for, you know, a um, communications company, and then you also teach at Augsburg. Uh, so this is, you know, this is on top of all of that. Um, what what made you idealistic? Well, I, I think I'm just a product of my parents. Um, uh, not that they walked through life with them. Um, Seeing seeing it through rose colored glasses and being an interracial couple. In fact, I'm sure it wasn't um, through rose colored glasses. But um, as their offspring, I I'd learned a lot from my my parents about tolerance. Uh, my dad was was welcoming to all, all folks, um, and it, that ran the gamut. And my mom, even though she was Irish and could wasn't um, afraid to mix it up she also had that same kind of level of openness and flexibility and tolerance and would would call me out or call our kids out or call anybody on the street out about it if uh, they didn't uh if if they were crossing the line <laughs> whatever that line may be in their mind okay well you know i hear a lot when i ask people you know what made you idealistic and a lot of it is always about a family member or a role model that um, sure. was in their life. Sure. Well, well, James Curry, it's been a pleasure to talk with you. Um, I really wish you the best with your organization, Building Remembrance for Reconciliation. Give us the website again. BR4R.org. Okay. L listeners, go check it out. Um, they're a 501c3. Hey, it's the end of the year. Time to make some <laughs> uh, Thank you. donations. Okay. James, I wish you the best. And please let me know when the book comes out. Okay. The graphic novel. And I then uh, if you, if there's something else that you think Ellie Krug should know about, please let me know. Okay. All right. Well, thanks Ellie. I appreciate it. You're well, welcome. Thanks, thanks for, for being, listeners. yeah. Thank, thanks for being on the show. Take care. All right, thank you. Okay, listeners, that was uh, James Curry with Building Remembrance for Reconciliation. Uh, fascinating. And this is really how we do get change, okay? This is how we do it. We've got to get people willing to go and talk to other people, sit in rooms, talk about the painful past, okay? And invite people in for the conversation and have the conversation about how we can change. How can we go forward? You just heard James say that. So check out the organization. We're going to go take a break now. When we come back, i got a bunch of other things to talk with you about. And you can still call me, 952-946-6205. Take care. I'll be back in a minute. Ellie 2.0 Radio. I was just see, see dance in there. I got kind of carried away and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. We've got a radio show going on. Hi, everyone. Um, I hope you enjoyed that interview with James Curry of, of building remembrance uh, for reconciliation. And um, and uh, I've got other guests lined up So it for the future shows. So I'm really working at it again. I mean, trust me, you know, life was – very, very tight um, when I was campaigning for school board, which I'll talk about uh, school board in a, in a little bit here. But I want to move on. I want to talk about this Respect for Marriage Act. And I'm sure that you've been hearing about this. You've been hearing about, you know, how the House uh, passed it earlier uh, this fall. And then um, and then the Senate took it up. The Senate voted uh, 60 
uh, let's see, 61 to 36 on November 29th uh, uh, with to, to pass the Respect for Marriage Act and brought over uh, some Republicans. Uh, the large majority of uh, nays coming from the Senate, from senatorial Republicans, were senators from the South. Um, and, you know, what, you, what you're hearing, okay, is – I think generally what people are hearing is, well, okay, respect for marriage. This means that, you know, well, hold on, Ellie, just back up, okay? Be the lawyer for a second. All right. So you may recall, listeners, in 2015, uh, the Supreme Court in a, in the case of uh, uh, called Obigerfell v. Hodges uh, ruled in June of 2015, ruled that the 14th Amendment requires all states to recognize same-sex marriages. Okay, so – it comes – and it was not – it was not a uh, unanimous decision, OK, by the Supreme Court. The conservatives did not vote for it, trust me. But we had more liberals on the court at that point uh, in 2015 than – certainly than what we do right now. And so – but that – when Obigerfell came down, that was it, OK? Prior to that, beginning in 2008, we started having individual different states um, – uh, you know, making uh, same-sex marriage, marriage equality legal in their states. and But the problem was not all states were doing that and was creating problems for people because if they move, they're married in a state that legal had legal marriage, but then they moved to a state that did not allow it. Then the question was, did, would, would their marriage be recognized and could they take advantage of federal benefits like survivor benefits and all that kind of stuff? Well, anyway, the Supreme Court in 2015 said, nope, 14th Amendment, Due process clause inherent with you know personal privacy with that okay right to privacy. Supreme Court says okay everybody gets you know be able to ha- get married. Then fast forward to the Dobbs decision this summer, where the Supreme Court, after forty nine years of precedent, um, eviscerates uh, Roe v. Wade. Okay, all right. And so Roe v. Wade goes away and now, now we're back. We are. We're right back to where we were with marriage equality, which is a bunch of different states totally outlawing uh, abortion. You know, even – don't even get me started about, you know, birth control or women who have, heart, you know, miscarriages and will that be considered – all that kind of stuff, right? So we got some states that are not allowing it. Some states are, you know, like Minnesota. Hey, we are an oasis in a sea of red. You know, women rep- reproductive rights are here in Minnesota. They are protected. Okay, all right. So Dobbs goes away. Then Justice Thomas decides that he wants to write a concurring opinion to Dobbs, and in his concurring opinion, he says, "Okay, we we just got rid of we got rid of of abortion. Next up is is gay. You know, is marriage equality and contraception and a whole lot of other things." So this Respect for Marriage Act is a direct consequence, direct consequence of uh, Justice Thomas's concurring opinion. Now, everybody thinks, well, they hear about this Respect for Marriage Act. That means, OK, now the federal government is saying that you know marriage equality exists for all the states in the country. And that, my friend, is not true. OK. So if you're thinking, oh, this is going to get passed and, you know, even those southern states are going to have to, you know, uh, you know, they can't change their minds and, and, and uh, 
keep people from being married who are of the same sex or gender or of different skin colors. If you're thinking that means those states can't do that, you are wrong. All that the Respect for Marriage Act means is this. If you are married right now in the same in a same sex relationship, you know, you're married to your you know, male partner and your male or your female partner and your female, or if you are married to somebody with a different skin color or different, uh, you know, other kinds of ethnicity, the things that we use to divide people, all that the Respect for Marriage Act means is that if you go to a state that in the future takes away marriage equality, all it means is that that state can't discriminate against you. That's all that means. That's all that the act means. And so just just wait. I predict within the next two years at the outside, at the outside, in the next two years, Supreme Court's going to say, oops, you know what? We really didn't mean uh, that 14th Amendment protects the right to, to marry, okay? That No, we don't. I, I predict that the Supreme Court's going to say, uh-uh, we, we made a mistake there, you know, and – so – and then I predict we will start having states – trust me, we will start having states stoke their base, passing laws, outlawing marriage equality. I absolutely believe that that's going to happen. Now, the good news under the Respect for Marriage Act is that those same-sex couples who are married or those couples of different skin color married in those states, they can't be discriminated against. Okay, the state, the state can't say, "Well, your marriage isn't legal." Okay, or my God forbid, um, something that we were doing as late as 1967, putting people in jail if they married um, somebody of a different skin color. The states can't, for those couples, okay, for those couples already married, states cannot invalidate their marriages. That's all the Respect for Marriage Act uh, does. And I got to tell you, um, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of controversy about this law, which I predict, you know, I assume President Biden's going to sign within next week or the next two weeks, certainly by the end of the year. Um, there's all kinds of controversy because we have some religious organizations that believe that the, the law is, is going to make it more difficult for them, even though, even though the Respect for Marriage Act specifically says, okay, that it's not to have any impact in religious liberty and conscience. Subpart 6A says, quote, nothing in this act or any amendment made by this act shall be construed to diminish or abrogate a religious liberty or conscious protection otherwise available to an individual organization or the Constitution of the United States. Okay, so, <laughs> you know, um, this does not mean this does not mean that there cannot be religious discrimination against same-sex couples. Doesn't mean that, okay? Doesn't mean that there can't be religious discrimination against couples who are married with different skin colors. The law is not going to do anything about that. So, I'm just here to tell you, um, <clears throat> it's nice to have it, okay? And as somebody who is uh, certainly LGBTQ uh, plus. Um, it's better than nothing. I guarantee you that. Okay, and and I think it's important that we give. You know, I mean that people already living in certain states where they may be at risk for their state to take away marriage equality. Okay, I think it will give them great comfort.
Okay, that's good. But it's not a law that's, that's going to say automatically all across the United States, everybody can marry who they want regardless of what a state does. Nope, states can still go change their laws. And so people in the future who want to marry are going to have to move or at least take a long vacation to like Minnesota and get married and hey, maybe at the Stone Arch Bridge. That would be kind of nice, right? Maybe uh, Minnesota could start, you know, kind of a cottage industry, come to Minnesota and get married. And then they go back to the states and then they're going to be okay in those states that outlaw um, marriage equality. But, you know, I mean, you know, who think of the burden, okay? And not everybody's going to be able to afford to do that. Okay. All right. Well, listen, uh, we're going to take one more break. And then when I come back, I want to talk about Twitter. And you know what? Hold on. I'm going to talk about Patrick. I'm going to talk about Twitter first and then, and then we'll take our break. Okay. All right. So everyone moving on from Respect for Marriage Act. How do you like that? Live radio. I just get to make decisions just as we go. Okay. Live radio. Here we go. Um, uh, I am, uh, we are all, I, you know, those of you who know me know that I am a Twitter junkie. Okay, I am. So uh, the Twitter handle is at Ellie, at Ellie Krug, okay? Um, and uh, I also have a number, I have another one, um, at Ellie for District 112, um, because that is for uh, my uh, school board uh, Twitter account. So I'm a Twitter junkie. And certainly I pay attention to what, what's going on with Twitter and Elon Musk and, you know, he's, he's just totally upending Twitter and God knows how it's going to go. But uh, what caught my attention was um, an article that came out yesterday in the New York Times uh, by uh, uh, Shira Frankel and Kate Conger um, titled, Hate Speeches Rise on Twitter is Unprecedented, Researchers Find. And the report, the, the, the New York Times piece goes on to say that, that, quote, slurs against black Americans showed up on the social media service an average of 1,280 times a day. That was before Elon Musk bought it. And then it goes on to say, quote, after the billionaire became Twitter's owner, they jumped to 3,876 times a day, unquote. That would be slurs against black Americans. And then slurs against gay men had been running at about 2,500 times a day. But after Mr. Musk took over, um, they went up to – the slurs against gay men went up to 3,964 times a day, OK? And then uh, anti-Semitic posts referring to Jews or Judaism soared more than 61 percent in the two weeks after Musk acquired the site. And of course, that doesn't help that Kanye West, you know – has been spewing all kinds of things, not only on Twitter, which apparently he's now blocked for because he put a, an image of a swastika inside the Star of David, but Kanye all over the place, you know, saying other things uh, that horrible, horrible stuff about Jews. And so um, I, uh, you know, this is incredible, okay? And it's, a, it's an ex- example of what happens when people feel that they have the license, the license from positions of anonymity to say things that they would not otherwise say to a human to their face. And, and 
what it, it's just a process of churning and the, and the churning is hate and intolerance. It just churns and churns and grows, you know, and this, I, I, I'm at a loss. I really am. I mean, what, you know, what does Elon Musk want to accomplish? Does he really, I mean, is he really like looking for this marketplace of hateful ideas to see, can it take hold in America? You know, I mean, it is going to, I mean, it's already here. Do we need to make it worse? And I, I just, I, I, it, um, I'm staying on Twitter though, and I'm writing things about compassion and kindness. Okay. And thankfully I have not been the target of any attacks from on Twitter, um, yet, but <laughs> I just, I, why, you know, and, and the other problem with so many people have left Twitter because of Elon Musk and, you know, his requirement that people work 80 hours a week and all that kind of crazy stuff. Um, they, they don't even have the staff to moderate, you know, they don't have the staff to keep track of all of the hateful comment filled comment. You, on, on top of that, there have been like, you know, this increase by terrorist groups like Al Qaeda and ISIS increasing their presence on Twitter. So think about national security. I, I just, it's, it's just, it just beyond. Okay. All right. Now we're going to take our break. Okay. Um, and when we come back, I'll talk about the school board. If you want to talk to me, it's going to be your last chance. 952-946-6205. All right. We're going to take a break and I'll be back in a sec. And I'm back. LE 2.0 Radio on lovely AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Okay, my C block, I'm going to talk about my work as an idealist. Uh, as you've heard in this show and then previously, I did get elected to the school board for the Eastern Carver County School District. And um, I have my orientation coming up uh, next week uh, where I going to spend a whole day getting to know people and going to the different <coughs> school buildings in the district and all kinds of stuff. I'm sure I'm going to get a bunch of big notebooks as well. And I've been meeting people. I have. So I've been meeting with some current school board members. Uh, I've been meeting with some constituents. Um, I met with somebody this week uh, who, who wanted, wanted to talk with me um, about – uh, a number of things, some concerns about uh, um, LGBTQ uh, emphasis in the schools. This is somebody who had a who has a, um, a more a much more conservative uh, uh, take on the world, and um, who, after an hour and fifteen minutes, finally asked me really the question. I think which is what they wanted to ask at the beginning, but we didn't get to. I mean, but they didn't do it until last. I'm like, I got to go. And the question was, why did you run, Ellie, for the school board? And well, my answer back was, well, I, I ran because I've been in the classroom. I've watched the educators interact with the students. There's you know magic there. I believe in our educators. I believe in our students. I want to be able to help the school district continue to do what it is doing in terms of excellence. 
And then that per- this person said to me point blank, um, you understand that some people would say that what you just said to me is a front and that really you ran so that um, you could promote, you know, an LGBTQ agenda, which, whatever I and – I, and frankly, I have no idea what that is, okay? I, I don't know what an LGBTQ agenda is. I mean, is it something, you know, where I'm trying to turn straight students into gay and lesbian and transgender people? I, first of all, you can't do that. And secondly, no, no. Um, but, but I'm anticipating that that may be a question that some people have uh, about me. And for those of who may be listening, although I, I would be surprised if they are, but if you are, that is really great. My answer back would be no. Um, I happen to be transgender. I certainly want to protect our LGBTQ students because they are the subject of significant amounts of bullying. They have a much higher incidence of attempted suicides uh, compared to straight and cisgender students, uh, cisgenders, non-transgender, okay? And, 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 but, but I'm also there for all the other students and for the educators. I mean, it's about preparing our students, getting all of the students um, ready to compete in the late 20s and uh, the early 30s. It is going to be a much more diverse world. It, 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 it is, whether you want it to be or not. And it's going to be a much more technologically, um, you know, uh, complicated world. And so I want everyone, you know, all the students in the district to be able to be ready for that. I do. And on top of that, yeah, if I have an agenda, the agenda is I want to spread compassion and kindness. And I'm a unifier, not a divider. I want to, I want to get past the things that divide us. That's why I had James Curry here on the show talking about how his organization is doing that. The, we cannot, we cannot go forward as a community or as a country if we if we don't listen to each other if we don't talk to each other if we resist each other okay and and uh, and ideas i mean you know you i mean there are some things you're not going to convince me of but i'm ha- absolutely happy to sit and talk um with whomever i am and that's an open standing yeah so there you go all right. Well, there's my cue. I gotta, I've got to wrap this up. A big thanks to my producer, Patrick. You've done great, Patrick. I really appreciate it. Listeners, I'll be back next Saturday live again. I will. Okay. There you go. Okay. And uh, I'll let you know what's going on in the world and what's important for idealism and idealists. Take care. Go have a great weekend and go and do something to make the world better. Bye.